Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. This is episode 25. I've got a ridiculous question for you. Do you want the perfect life? Of course you do. Who's going to say no to that? The problem with trying to sell it as a message is that it sounds so mindlessly obvious and at the same time so impossible, so intangible. It seems too much like philosophical pondering than a realistic pursuit. I'm completely confident that my guest in today's show will convince you that imagining, designing and achieving the life that is perfect for you is not only within the realms of possibility, but once broken down into logical, manageable steps, it becomes something you'll feel compelled and inspired to pursue. Craig Ballantyne is the author of a book called The Perfect Day Formula, and it is just fantastic. I literally read it in one night. And in today's episode, he talks us through the key messages, the practical advice and the beliefs that his system is based on. Craig is a wonderful communicator, energetic, positive, just so likable. Everything about him and the way he conducts himself sits in perfect alignment with the message he's sharing. Among the many lessons, tips, advice, home truths that you'll hear today is a principle, paradoxical at first, that Craig will completely convince you of. Freedom equals structure. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Craig Ballantyne, a man who simply wants you to have the perfect life. Craig Ballantyne, thank you so much for joining me on the Team Guru podcast. Hey, thank you so much, David. It's really nice to have you, Craig, for so many reasons. I have very recently read your book, and I have to say, I absolutely loved it. And I always say, later in the show, I normally say it'll be on the podcast page for this episode, but I'll say it straight up. I'll put links to where people can find it because it is just such a fantastic read. And we're going to talk a lot about the concepts that are in that book today. But before we get to that, I I just want to point out to you that I think you're going to be the 24th or 5th episode in in my podcast series and you're my very first Canadian so welcome oh well thank you very much so uh yeah we we have a little strange accent up here so hopefully everyone can understand all of the words that I say but uh, <laughs> you know we kind of feel the way the same way about our Aussie friends sometimes too it's nice to have uh, someone representing the maple leaf when I was a young fellow I did the whole live in the UK and travel through Europe as most Aussies do And I don't know, maybe Canadians are are big into that as well. But I got into this habit really early that if I met someone who sounded American, I always said to them, oh, are you from Canada? Because because if they were from Canada, their face would light up. They'd be so delighted that someone would not assume they were from America. But of course, if they were from America, they didn't care. They'd just say, oh, no, actually, I'm from San Diego or or whatever, because- People from Canada just seem to get bundled up in that little American package, don't they? Yeah, you know, I was in uh, New Zealand. What I went to Australia, New Zealand back in 2007, and somebody wouldn't stop giving me a hard time about George Bush, even though I told them <laughs> over and over and over again I was Canadian. <laughs> they, they still just wouldn't let me go. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, we travel over to Europe, and, and most of my friends actually after high school went to Australia, New Zealand, because uh, we just connect a lot stronger that way, I think. Very simple people over in, in New Zealand, mate. Uh, they probably don't understand the dif- difference between America and Canada. It's a <laughs> bit beyond them. You know, I, I also find the Canada-US relationship to be very similar in nature to the New Zealand-Australian relationship. You know, in, in our relationship with New Zealand, we're very much the big brother. In your relationship with the US, you're very much the little brother. And I I learned, I guess, a while ago, I always thought that we had this very friendly banter, this very friendly rivalry, because we play a lot of sport against each other. But I, I'm actually coming to understand that it's a friendly rivalry from our side of things. We think they're the cute little brother that occasionally do pretty well at sport. But I think 
the other way around, they actually dislike us genuinely. It's not a friendly rivalry their way. Is it the same kind of thing in the US and, and the Canada relationship? Oh, we are. I think a lot of Canadians always look for a way to feel superior. Like right now with the presidential, you know, Donald Trump getting the possibility that he might be the president. Canada's saying, oh, you got, you know, all the Americans should move up to Canada and, you know, being really (laughs) proud of our system. And so there's certain things that Canada likes to brag about, but we certainly are just the minnow compared to the American uh, country. You know, this is not the purpose of their podcast, but while we talk about it, your your new prime minister, Trudeau, has to be one of the most popular, well-liked, admired, famous politicians in the world right now. I'd say that he's getting the same sort of glow that Obama got when he was elected in 2008 for the first time. Yeah. You know, young and photogenic and in this day and age of social media, and also very liberal as well. And and uh, alive to the social conscience of the world, I would say, is another thing that's great about our current prime minister. And so really, it's like the perfect storm for the world to to take note and take photos and, and share that of him and his wife and, and uh, you know, very photogenic, like I said before. So I'm hoping that he turns out to be as uh, good in office as he is popular in the world right now. And all those things you say are so true. And Perhaps part of his popularity comes in his direct comparison with his predecessor. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, um, same with, again, very similar to Obama, and it's just completely different. And who knows, maybe that's why people were so quick to vote for him, you know, to jump over and say, um, um, you know, it's time for a change uh, to to steal Obama's slogan. Yeah, well, good, good on you. I, I, I look at Canadian politics at the moment and I'm jealous. I, I'm jealous of that the fact that you have a, a leader who people can genuinely admire. And in my world, my discipline of leadership, he actually fits the bill of a real-life leader rather yeah. than what we, we so often see is someone who's called a leader but fit the bill of a career politician. Yeah, I think and also – it's more, I wouldn't say it was dictatorship, but you know, it was a lot of, it was top down and Trudeau for, you know, the way that he's operating right now, it's a lot of, Hey, let's have it from the bottom up. Let's hear from the people and, and we'll make decisions that way. So again, hopefully he's able to reconcile the fact uh, that he wants to do that with also the realities of making hard decisions in this world. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still politics and politics are, politics, you know? Yeah. There's, cause there's that old saying that uh, I will butcher, but try and paraphrase that almost every politician goes into politics with good intentions. It's the game that kills them. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about you and, and the fantastic work that you do. And I know that the book that you've written, the one that I read last night, breaking one of the rules that you put in your book, as I read it until about 11.45 last night. And I found that ironic to start with, but we'll, we'll get to that rule later. It is just such a terrific book, mate. I literally couldn't put it down. I read it in one go. I was only interrupted by dinner and I read the whole thing and it just kept me gripped. It made me feel as though if I was to follow your steps, I would be the happiest David Frizzell that David Frizzell could ever be because it's not about telling you who to be and what you should be. It's helping you to understand who you are and how you can be the best person that you can be. So you talk about controlling your life by owning your day. That's very much at the premise of your book, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And really that's what you said about it being the way for you to have your best or be your best David Frizzell. I mean, it's not about living my way. It's not about living Craig Ballantyne's way. It's about using some simple principles to control your days so that you can live your way. That's exactly right. So, you know, we, we're going to break down the steps that, that you go through a little bit later. But um, before we get to that, I, I want to acknowledge that as you do at the beginning of the book, a lot of the thoughts that you're presenting to us in a very modern way, a very accessible way, are not new thoughts. In fact, they're they're 2,000 plus year old thoughts and you reference very strongly the Stoic philosophy. Can you tell us a little bit about Stoicism 
where it came from, what it really means in essence and, and how it's still relevant in today's world. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's more relevant in today's world than it was 2000 years ago. And it goes back to something that we talked about when we were discussing Trudeau there and this world of social media, everyone is comparing themselves constantly to one another. And I think in the first world problem world, comparing ourselves to others is one of the greatest sources of unhappiness. Yeah. And so what, what the Stoics were teaching, you know, centuries ago was don't compare yourself to other people and to go about living life according to your principles. And that really comes down to knowing yourself. So the more that David Frizzell knows himself and knows what really matters to himself, the better he'll be able to live in a phrase that one of my personal training clients said to me years and years ago when he was discussing his brother, who was a very famous, or not famous, but successful lawyer in the big city of Toronto where I was a trainer, And he said, my brother is comfortable in his own skin. He is wealthy and he's a lawyer and he has all these people who, you know, he has to deal with, but he still rides his bicycle. You know, he's a wealthy man, but he rides his bicycle from his house all the way down to our version of Wall Street here in Toronto, which is called Bay Street. And he doesn't care what other people think. And that is what Epictetus, the Stoic philosopher who I'm most influenced by, was trying to teach us 2000 years ago when he taught and this is the biggest lesson that I've taken from his teachings, he said, control what you can, cope with what you can't, and concentrate on what counts. And that is the focus of the book, the foundation of the book, and it's the message that can really reduce the amount of stress that people have and a lot of the stress that's internally derived. And also to, like you said, just go and be the best version of yourself and live according to your principles and know what matters and focus on it, and you'll be a very happy person. And when you start thinking about stoicism and the way you described it, you come to realize that those kind of principles are around us a lot, even if we don't know them as stoic principles. For example, the serenity prayer that that came through the Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's directly out of the Stoic philosophy, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's so well said because where most people get so hung up is they want to change things they have no control over. And that is just going to drive you mad because you are going to be frustrated every single time. And it could be traffic. You know, you can't control if there's traffic on the road. You can only control your response to that traffic. So you can get angry and yell or you can sit there and think, well, how can I maybe use this time productively? Maybe make my car into an audio university by listening to something like your podcast, David. And it's that mindset shift that can really set people free. Yeah, that reframing type stuff. Just a reference I I wanted to make to something we were talking a few minutes ago for Australian listeners, especially or anyone in the world can read this book, but an Australian thinker by the name of Clive Hamilton wrote a tremendous book a few years ago called Affluenza. So I'm, I'm sure if you haven't heard of that term, you could straight away work out what it means. He talks about the way that we as a society have gotten ourselves down emotionally. We're anxious and, and stressed and depressed because we're trying to keep up with the Joneses, where the true facts say the the research after research after research tells us that once you've got enough money in the bank to pay the bills and not have to worry about those kind of basic things, those lower order Maslow's high on Maslow's hierarchy, the more money you earn does not correlate to greater happiness. But for some reason, that is what we're pursuing because we've got this affluenza. It's a disease where we feel as though we have to catch up or keep up with the people next door. So Aussie listeners or, or anyone in the world, have a look at that book, Clive Hamilton's Affluenza. It's a, it's a really terrific read and, and it puts so many ills of today's society in a, in a really nice articulated context. Yeah. And, and, you know, David here in I'm actually in America right now. So I, my business is based in Denver. So it was kind of ironic that we were having that conversation before. <laughs> You're living in the, Canada, in the United States. But here in America, affluenza was actually used as a defense in the defense argument for a young man who got drunk and killed people in a drink driving accident. And, you know, they just said that this young man was, he was 
born privileged and he didn't know any better. And it was affluenza. And I, you know, as most people would just shake their head at that, but that term has, has made it over here. I'm pretty sure I've heard of that book and it is an unfortunate thing that, you know, so many people these days don't take into true appreciation what they have and, you know, become entitled and, and, you know, unfortunately really can ruin a lot of people. Please tell me that young man didn't get off charges because of affluenza. No, you know what he actually did? Him and his mother. So his mother was a terrible influence. They tried to go into hiding in Mexico. They did the, you know, dyed their hair and ran away. So they ran away from their problems instead of facing up to them. Eventually they were found and both brought back into America. And now we'll have even more punishment. Ah, glad to hear it. It's an yeah. awful story. And it's a, it's a story again of some people who live amongst us who just absolutely refuse to accept responsibility for what they've done. Yeah. And I'm a huge proponent of personal responsibility. I have a chapter about personal responsibility in the book. And I think that it's so wonderful what we can accomplish when we take that personal responsibility for changing our lives and improving it all the time. You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Now, we're, we're, I keep promising our listeners and we will get to each of these steps and there's some really fantastic, powerful, practical steps that, that you help people or you, you take people through. But before you ask your readers to make sense of the perfect day formula, you ask them to get their head around a seemingly really stark paradox. That is the idea that structure equals freedom that creating rules for your life actually gives you more freedom. Can you tell us a little bit more about that concept? Yeah, it's a great, great question. And it actually ties in perfectly to the affluenza. So, you know, imagine a young person raised with privilege, raised with no rules, raised with complete and utter freedom. And what happens in almost every case, those people end up self-destructing. And we see that Michael Jackson, Prince, all these people, there was one of the Rothschild uh, family years ago and about 10 years ago, he had a drug overdose. And why is this happening? Because again, they have no structure because they have the ultimate in freedoms. Yeah. You know, they have yeah. all the money in the world. They have all the time in the world. They don't know what to do with themselves. And yeah. I know that it's tempting for everyone, especially on a Monday morning with a pile of work on their desk to wish they had more freedom, but it really, the freedom that we build through structure makes us so much better and so much more successful. And there's actually a, a quote from a very famous Portuguese author from Brazil. Well, he's from Brazil. He's wrote in Portuguese originally, but Paulo Coelho, who wrote The Alchemist. And he said, yeah. you know, discipline and freedom are not mutually exclusive, but they're actually mutually dependent yeah. because without structure, we would descend into chaos. And so here's a really great real world example. So David, you know, the next time you're out driving around somewhere or the listeners are out driving around somewhere, maybe they are right now as they're listening, do you stop at red lights? Do you stop at stop signs? Of course you do. And yeah. why do we do that? Because we need structure. If yeah. we didn't have structure, we would have complete chaos. It would be cars going everywhere and accidents, and we would never get to our destination safely. And so that is what we need in our lives is this structure so that we can then operate and achieve the freedom that we want. And so it is a little bit of something that people want to resist because they're like, Oh, I've already got enough structure. I have to be at work at this time and I have to do this and I have to pick up the kids and all of this. I've got enough structure, but what we need is structure to our days so that we get the most done. So we have freedom at night to do whatever we please. And so that's really what the book is about. I mean, it seems like it's a little rigid at first, but as you read it, you go, Oh, wait a minute. He's opening up freedom in my life so that I can focus on what matters, my family, my free time, my health, my hobbies. And you, you make a really good point in your book that we, we place some structures around some things that comparatively are much less important than our day. And yet we leave our day to so much chance because of some of the sloppy decisions we make. So we structure, we, we highly structure some of these little components of our life that aren't so important, yet when it comes to our day, the most important part of our life, we, we just leave that to, you know, whether I hit the snooze button or not, or, you know, whether I can find the right type of breakfast or if I have time to have the right type of breakfast and what am I going to do as my first activity when I, when I get to work? Amazingly, those really important kind of things that set us up for success 
for a day to day, week to week and year to year, we, we just leave that to chance. Yeah. A lot of people make that big mistake of not knowing what to spend their time on first thing in the morning. If they, as I recommend in the book, give themselves a little bit of extra time before they get into their day or when they get to work, they jump right into email when they don't have to in many cases. And then all of a sudden it's five o'clock or whatever quitting time is. And they, they know they've been super busy all day long but they don't feel like they've accomplished something. And then they're very frustrated. And I've had those days before. And that's really what drove me into researching better ways to go about my work hours, better ways to protect my time, better ways to use that because time is that thing we can never get back. I mean, I know some very wealthy men and I know that all they want is time. They don't want any new watches. They don't want any new cars. They want time. They want youth and you know, that's why they're spending it better than ever these days. That's one of the many things I loved about your book. You're not coming to this from a preaching perspective saying, hey, I've always lived this perfect life. I've always known this and you idiots should know this too. You've written (laughs) this book because you've discovered some of these lessons the hard way because you've had tough times in your life where you were wasting time. You you didn't know exactly what what you wanted to achieve. You were unstructured. So you've earned this knowledge in a lot of ways. And that again gave this book for me so much more credibility. Well, yeah, I was the idiot, David. I was the guy (laughs) like, what are you doing? I mean, you know that you want to accomplish great things and here you are doing this or wasting your time on another website or, you know, like you said, hitting the snooze button. One of the biggest lessons I learned was, you know, sleeping in, I would always feel like I was chasing the world's tail and it just really gave me anxiety on a low level and stress. And it never allowed me to feel productive and successful. And when I finally started getting up at the time that was right for me, just changed my life and allowed me to become more successful, more productive. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody has to get up really early in the morning, but they need to get up at the, what I guess you might call an honest time for them, the right time for them. And so we have to have that structure in place Now, I keep promising the listeners that we're going to get to those steps and we're going to get to those steps after this very next question that I have or this very next story that I have. And then we'll get into the meat of this. But you told a story. We're just having such good banter here and we could probably talk for hours and hours and hours. That's the problem. I know. That's exactly how I feel as well. And and I know that some of our listeners will really enjoy that, but, but I also always promise them some great tangible steps. Yeah, let's time to deliver. Now, before we deliver, I want to tell you a story about me that uh, I, I thought of, and I hadn't thought of it for many years, but your book made me realize it because so much of what you talk about starts with the morning, getting up early and being proactive. And, and we'll get into the guts of that in a second. You talk about the trouble of the snooze button, and it reminded me of my time at university, I guess you would say college in your world. And you know, my time in university was like so many other people I I worked nighttime jobs. My particular glamorous job was washing dishes. And I often washed dishes until two, three in the morning when these big banquets would end. And and then I might have an eight o'clock or a nine o'clock lecture at university that I had to get to. So my alarm clock was very important to me. It was about two decades before the iPhone was around. So I had this old fashioned alarm clock. And there were times where my alarm clock would go off to get me to university and I didn't even remember hitting the snooze button or turning it off and, and I was back asleep and, and missed a lecture. So I ended up having to put my alarm clock over the other side of the room and that's one of the things that you recommend in your book as a way to get your day started fresh without making that really poor half asleep decision to stay in your warm bed because it's easy right now, but it's actually quite a destructive start to your day. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly it will, that's a way that will work for a lot of people. Now, if you have a spouse that uh, needs to sleep a little bit longer, you'll have to come up with some alternatives, but there are other ways to do it. Whether you reward yourself for getting up instead of hitting snooze, either internal rewards or external rewards, but it is so important because there's many, many downsides to hitting the snooze, obviously besides being late or being late, one of them, but also you're actually in most cases going to feel groggier if you go back into a sleep cycle. And so there's actually some science that you, you know, sleep science that you want to avoid that snooze. But, you know, I feel that I do that too, David, it just is that little extra that assures that I won't slip into that bad habit 
of hitting the snooze and then getting behind in my day because I just know that that's wrong for me. Well, there's no such thing as an alarm clock at my house anymore. I have a, a nearly three-year-old, which the guests oh, he- nice. hear, hear about a lot. And I have, what is it now? I have a 14-day-old in my house oh. as well. So there, wow. there, thank you very much. And it is a wonderful time in our lives. It's beautiful, but there is no alarm clocks and there are no snooze buttons at our house. In fact, the, I have the most lovely alarm clock in the world because our, th- our nearly three-year-old for a long time gets out of his own bed and just comes into our room and stands beside our bed and just sort of <laughs> taps us and says, daddy, daddy, go downstairs, go downstairs. He always wants to start his day downstairs with his toys. So oh, nice. that, that's a really nice snooze button. All right. So we've, I've, I've fluffed around long enough. Let's cut to the chase. Talk us through the way you encourage your listeners, your clients, your readers to structure their perfect day so they can take control of their life. Absolutely. So one of the things that I recommend to everybody is to get up 15 minutes earlier than what they're doing right now. And, and here's why I want people to do that. Most of us just don't get time to think. And we have either big opportunities or we have big problems in our life right now that really need our focus and attention. But if you get up with the snooze and you know you get a little bit late and then you're rushing through your morning and you hit email first thing and then you end up at the end of the day, feeling like you've accomplished nothing, then you're going to go home probably late and barely get to bed on time, maybe watch some TV. And you didn't think at all. You didn't have any time for thinking. And if you have problems in your life, those aren't going to get resolved unless you have a chance to think about them. So get up 15 minutes early, go to your kitchen table with a blank piece of paper and a pen, sit there, identify your number one problem or opportunity in your life, whether it's getting out of debt, whether it's making more money, whether it's finding the love of your life, whether it's finding the house of your dreams and start putting together a plan of action with some deadlines in there for your activities and you will find a way to achieve whatever it is that you want. But it all starts with that clear thinking time. It's such a simple concept, getting up 15 minutes early. I mean, it it is nothing, but you're so right. As opposed to getting up and, and being in a rush and I've got to get dressed and I've got to get this done for the kids and I've got to get in the car and rush, rush, rush. You just give yourself that little bit of breathing space, which gives you that opportunity to, to do something productive, some, something that's proactive, something that's thoughtful that you just would never have had the chance to do otherwise. And if you do that every day, the cumulative effect is simply enormous. Yeah, it's massive. And I mean, for somebody who's already feels like they're getting up early already, Start with five minutes. I mean, even a couple of minutes of thinking, one good idea that can then propel you to have some progress in your life is so important because one of the reasons that so many people lose motivation on changing on something in their life is that they don't see progress. And when we don't see progress, our motivation decreases and we, we quit going after our goal or whatever project we're working on. This is true for employees as well. So if there's business owners listening, you want your employees and your team members to have that sense of progress. Even if you're going through a tough time right now, always show them that, hey, we're making progress on this problem. Otherwise they come in and become demotivated and then things get worse. So just focus on progress a few minutes at a time to start and you build from there. Now, does that 15 minutes that you spend that golden time, that thing that you get to do before anyone else in the house wakes up, does it have to be that sitting down, writing down, goal setting type activity? Or can it simply be squeezing in that thing in your life you always wish you had chance to do, but you never got to do? Yeah, absolutely. That's a wonderful question and well phrased. And it it can be anything. Now it needs to be one of the top priorities in your life. And it could be that one of the top priorities in your life is getting back into better health. And so it might be making meals for the day. It might be doing five or 10 minutes of exercise or meditation. It might be spiritual time. If you read the Bible, do Bible study, it can be anything that really improves you and improves your situation in life. And so it doesn't have to be sitting down at the kitchen table, but if you have a problem to work through, that's probably a good place to do it. You know, this is one of the things that I'm going to do, Craig, because obviously my life in the last three years has changed enormously, you know, in a really positive way. But but one of the things that, that I've found that I've lost time to do since the kids came along is my professional reading. 
I always read a novel as I'm going to sleep at night. And at the same time, I always have two books on a run, the novel that I read when I'm going to sleep at night and a professional book that I'm learning. And I've found that one of the things that's really slipped away from my life as the kids have come along is those, that professional reading that I like to do, that I, I love to do. So if I was to get up 15 minutes earlier every day, that would be the thing that I would hit. And that would make a huge impact on my life. Absolutely. I mean, that it's just continuous learning, continuous improving. It doesn't matter how successful somebody is. We can always become better in so many facets of our life. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. But of course, the other side to getting up 15 minutes earlier is going to bed. And this is a really interesting topic in itself. I, I, I've long said you never wake up in the morning and think to yourself, I'm so glad I watched that extra episode of Law and Order last night. But you, you do wake up in the morning sometimes and think, geez, I'm glad we went to bed when we did. You know, you, you know what I mean? So there's so many people, and I have so many people in my life who I know don't get stuff done that they want done, but they stay up to 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night, just sitting there mind-numbingly watching TV. Yeah, I don't get it. It's not my thing. But I know that, of course, that's the other side of the equation of getting out of bed 15 minutes earlier. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest with you, I struggle with that a lot. I mean, I remember back in probably about almost 15 years ago when I was, you know, late 20s, I was the type of person who every morning I'd wake up and, and say, tonight I'm going to bed early. And then, you know, one thing would come up and it was just it, because there was no structure, no rules about my behavior in my free time. It was just, you know, I guess I'll stay up and watch this other show or, you know, I'll go and do this other thing that, you know, it's, it, it is immediate gratification. And so there is that importance of understanding the value of delayed gratification because you, you just have to draw the line somewhere. Like, should you never ever watch TV or go out and have fun with your friends? Of course not. That's not what this is about. But it is about knowing when to draw the line to be able to reach your best life and your true priorities in life. So we've talked very much about just getting up early and, and that is just one part of it, but it's an, an enormous part because it gets your day off to such a great start. And you talk about the flow on effect for that. You give a great story in your book about Joe and Joe, you know, getting up late, hitting the snooze button three or four times. So therefore he doesn't have time for breakfast. He has to rush to work. He's feeling hungry. Then he because he hasn't had time to do any thinking, he, he, he doesn't know how to get started with his workday, so he wastes the first hour and a half of his day. And then because he's, he's got this ridiculous hunger, he rushes off to fast food, eats some rubbish for lunch, and then feels lethargic through the afternoon. And it's a, it's a great little story, and, and I know it's fictional, but you can see that played out everywhere, every day, in every workplace. Yeah, it's the most truthful fiction that you'll ever read. I mean, it's just... I could list dozens of people I know who, who have lived through days like that and many people who have lived through multiple days like that. Yeah. For people that don't know much of my background, I spent two decades in the fitness industry as a personal trainer writing for Men's Health Magazine and you know, running these body transformation contests. And that is the story I heard from so many people yeah. that they were coming in. Again, It was it's immediate gratification, but leads to very soon after that, crashes, downfalls, all sorts of things. And so I like to use this phrase of making the right decisions right now for your right life. Yeah. And that's the mindset we should be in all the time, whether it is, you know, should I watch another episode of Game of Thrones or should I go to sleep right now? Yeah. Should I have, you know, another coffee at 4 p.m. even though I know it's going to keep me up till two o'clock in the morning or should I, you know, avoid the coffee? And so it's just making those little decisions that we think are minor and inconsequential, but they actually are very important to us having our perfect days and moving ahead in life toward what really matters. Now, speaking about the coffee, that is in particular one of your rules. Now, you have for yourself, your there's 12 rules Craig lives his life by. And I really like these rules. I like them for a few reasons. They make sense 
but they're Craig's rules. They're, they wouldn't be the same rules that I would make for myself. They're really effective. Can you talk us through those rules and tell us how you came up with them and, and what kind of an impact they have on your life? Yeah. So the rules for my life are really, you could think of them as an operating system. So if you're a technology person, you know that a computer has an operating system and we all have our own operating system. So everybody's actually has rules already, David. It's just that most people have never thought to write them down, just like most people have goals, but they've never actually thought to write them down. And so I'm, as I teach this concept more and more and more, I'm just showing people, hey, you're kind of having boundaries on your life. It helps you avoid those nights of staying up late, watching too much television because you have a boundary on your life. And so there's actually, instead of going through my rules, um, unless there's some specific ones that you want to discuss, I've actually put a template of what I believe are seven rules that everyone should have in their own life. And like you said, David, they're not my rules. They're your rules, but they're based on a template. So would you mind if I shared those? Oh, no, they're great, great. So rule number one is having a consistent wake up and bedtime. And this is one of the things that has given me the greatest amount of energy in my life is going to bed and getting up at the same time seven days a week. Now, of course, with a social life, everyone's always going to have those nights when they stay out later. And I actually just got back this morning from a five-day trip to Las Vegas where we had a mastermind meeting for one of my coaching programs. And you're going to, you know, we were out for dinners late at night. I did sacrifice a little bit of sleep, but I didn't sacrifice too much in terms of the time that I got up in the morning. Sticking to a regular wake-up time is one of the absolute best things you can do for having all-day energy. And so if you stay up a little bit late, you know, try and get in a nap or go to bed earlier the next night. But rule number one, have a consistent wake-up and sleep and um, go to bed time seven days a week. Now, rule number two, everyone should have a health rule. It could be about your eating philosophy, such as you eat a paleo diet or a vegan diet, or you could have a rule about how often you exercise. So you might have a rule that you get in three ocean swims per week of 45 minutes. And that way, you know that in my planning for my week, I have to incorporate three ocean swims this week. And then I plan around that all the other stuff in my life. So that is the second rule. Have some type of rule for your health that is going to make a significant impact. The third rule is being productive in the morning. We've talked about this 15 minutes of waking up early, five to 15 minutes if you're just getting started, done at least six days a week, if not seven days a week. And again, for months on end, it brings in that compound effect. 15 yeah. minutes, yeah. six days a week, 90 minutes a week. Just imagine that over time, and it's just really, really powerful. Yeah, the numbers add up, don't they? Absolutely, and it really comes into play in this next rule. So rule number four is having some type of rule about being focused on building your wealth or growing your career or doing something that moves you ahead in a professional way. So it could be if you're a salesperson that you make five sales calls before lunch every workday. A writer, you might write 15 words before 2 p.m. each day. And so one of my favorite authors when I was a young, young man was Stephen King. And Stephen King, to this day, writes 2,000 words beginning at 9 a.m. every single day. And so that is his rule that he follows, and he follows it on holidays if he's in writing mode. So if he's in the middle of a book, he's not taking off July 4th to celebrate Independence Day here in yeah. America. Yeah. He's writing from 9 a.m. Yeah. And so that that's allowed him to write 50 plus novels and become incredibly successful. No, yeah, keep, ahead. keep going with the rules and I've, cause I've got a million questions, but we'll come back to my question. Keep, yeah, keep going with the rules. All right. We just have three more here in the templates and it's be aware of what not to do. And so what that means is we all, we know that we need to num work on our number one priority in life. But it's also equally as important to know what we should not do. And so Warren Buffett has a quote that is really powerful. And he says, the difference between successful people and really successful people is that really successful people say no to almost everything. And so Warren Buffett reads 90% of the time when he's working. He reads 500 pages a day or something like that wow. every single day. And that is why he's become so successful at investing he doesn't do TV appearances all day long. I mean, he does them around his event, but he doesn't do them every day. He's not out there 
wasting his time. He's super focused. And so you might have a rule that you don't drink alcohol during the work week, or you don't answer personal email until after 7 p.m. at night, or you do not check work email after 6 p.m. at night. And really, it comes down to knowing what you do not want to do, making a rule for that, telling other people, and then making sure that you're not a hypocrite. And so that's one of the things about these rules is that sometimes you don't actually live by them right now, but you want to. And so for me personally, my sixth rule says I do not engage in confrontations with anyone on in person or online. This is a waste of time and energy. If I have caused harm, I apologize and fix the situation. And then I take a deep breath. I relax. I breathe out and I refocus my efforts back on my work and my goals. And so that is my do not do rule. Very good. All right. So you've named five of those seven rules for us. What's number six? Absolutely. So number six is be social. Now, many people won't need this rule, but for some of us, some of us people who love to work, we sometimes need to be reminded to come up for air from our work and spend more quality time with our friends and family. And even if you are really social, it's always worthwhile having a rule in there, a reminder to rekindle old friendships that may have gone dormant. So you might be out meeting new people all the time, but you don't want to forget about the people that you have had long, strong relationships with. So there's probably a way for everyone to have some type of social rule in there. Like it might be, you know, for someone that does like to work, it might be every Sunday, no work. You know, we have brunch with the family and then we go to grandma's house on Sunday for dinner. And that, you know, that's the rule. That's our family's rule. We do not compromise it for anything. So if somebody wants me to speak on a Sunday morning, I don't even have to think about it. I just say, no, here's my rule. I just can't compromise that. Yeah. And that's one of the things about these rules, David, is they allow us to have uh, rely less on willpower. Yeah. So you know, yeah. that person, that person who knows that they should spend more time with their family, but then gets an opportunity to go and, you know, do more work. If they didn't have a rule set down in place, they would say, oh, yeah, it's just one Sunday morning. And the next thing you know, it's a slippery slope and there's tension at home because they're just not doing the right things. So that's why I want people to write these down. And so the last one is number seven. It's simply be good. Set in your code of conduct a rule about how you give back to the world. It could be I volunteer two hours a week at the local Humane Society or I serve on the board of directors at my church every year. But it's simply something that allows you to give back to the world or makes you behave in a certain way. So if you're trying to overcome a bad habit, you could say that, listen, I do not do this bad habit. And in fact, I do this behavior, which is the opposite of that bad habit. And it's a rule. And I tell the world. And the world, if it catches me doing the wrong thing, they're going to say, you're a hypocrite. And the world is not like a hypocrite. And we don't like to be hypocritical ourselves. And so that's what these rules do. They give us that code of conduct and it helps us perform up to our best selves. I love the way that you put out this idea of having these firm rules and and that you say, look, you're not always going to live by them, but you're striving towards them. And, and having rules makes you less susceptible to being swayed swayed into doing something that you didn't really want to do, but because you don't have a firm rule, you're, you're less likely to stand your ground. I'll give you an example from my life. I, I, for a long time, have not been a very big fan of drinking alcohol for no particular reason. I mean, don't get me wrong, in my early 20s and, <laughs> and my younger years, I was out there with the best of them drinking far too much. But just as I grew older, I, I, I liked it less and less. I, I, li- I didn't, don't like the taste. I, I don't like waking up the next morning. I mean, if I wake up the next morning hungover, I'm less likely to go and have a swim or do something productive. So I just developed into my life this sort of, I just didn't like drinking. But every social event I went to, people were like, come on, just have a couple here, have, have, have a few drinks. It, it seemed to be more important for them that I have a drink as if it affected whether they were having a good time or not. So what I did, not last New Year's Eve, but the New Year's Eve before, I said, I am a non-drinker. That, uh, that, that is just my rule. I, I don't drink. And that has made things so much easier. I when I go to a social situation and someone says to me, okay, you know, have a, are you having a drink? Have this drink. I've got this for you. I just say, no, I don't drink. And then that's the end of the conversation. It actually works really, really well. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be swayed anyway, but it, it helps those people around me to understand that that is one of my rules. 
That's perfect. That's such a perfect example. I think that's why we're getting along so well, David. We're kindred spirits on the alcohol. Uh, very similar. I drank enough in my 20s to last me till I'm 120, I think. So. <laughs> and I actually have a rule that I don't drink at work functions. So I, I will maybe have one or two in social settings with very close friends and family, but I will not drink at a work dinner like we had in, in Las Vegas. I just simply don't. And like you said, when it's a rule and you say, I just don't do X, Y, and Z, then it's so much easier. And so in the book, I actually use examples of people who are, you know, to get people introduced to the idea of rules, I use the example of a vegetarian. So imagine if somebody who wants to lose five pounds goes to, you know, a backyard grill out, or I'm not sure what you guys call them down there, but you know, you've got... Yeah, bar, yeah, that's what we call them in Canada. And then here in America, they call them uh, cookouts and, you know, grilling and stuff like that. But same thing. And so, you know, you go to one of these things and people are, you know, shoving cheeseburgers in your face and, and you're not really hungry and you know that it's not really great for your goals. If you're a vegetarian, it's very easy for you to say, oh, I just don't eat meat. And the conversation ends. But if, if you're trying to get along on this on willpower alone, yeah. because you don't want to eat a cheeseburger that yeah. day, yeah. it's going to be very difficult. Yeah. And same with the alcohol. And you just had a great example, David. Thank you. On the, the alcohol thing, I've decided that these New Year's resolutions have become my new power of making changes in my life. So the most recent New Year's we had, so five months ago, my resolution was for the next 12 months, I will not eat any junk food. So I, I didn't really define it. I didn't make it a sugar diet. I just said no chips, no lollies, which you would call candy, no ice cream, no ice blocks, no nothing from the confectionery aisle. And and this was a very different reason to my alcohol one. It, it was because I love chocolate so much and I love ice cream so much that I, I just had to rip the Band-Aid off. I am not someone who can say, cut back. I tried so many times to cut back to just chocolate on the weekends or just ice cream on the weekends and it just didn't work. So again, I have this rule and it's already paid dividends. I mean, I've been to a number of birthday parties already this year. People try and shove, you know, everyone's got to have a bit of cake. You've got to have a bit of cake. And I, I'm able just to say, I don't eat that stuff. And, and people are pretty good with that kind of thing. I mean, I, I cannot be swayed because it is my 100% commitment that for this 12 months, I will not put anything like that in my mouth. And, and it makes it perfectly easy for me to stick to that and for the people around me to accept it. Absolutely. And I mean, people that are listening, I mean, you can actually with this mindset, with this you know, it's like just flipping a switch in your head yeah. where you're like, oh, yeah. I just don't do that. Yeah. Uh, you can actually change so many of your habits. And I actually quit swearing, David. One of the things I haven't, you know, said a curse word, except for when I've seen a couple of big bugs. I haven't said a curse, <laughs> curse word in the last, you know, several years because one day I just decided I was going to stop swearing. Yeah. Wow. We, we are kindred spirits, Craig. I'm, I'm on very much the same path. In fact, I, I, a couple of weeks ago, I said a swear word and, and, and my wife just stopped and shocked. And she said, I haven't heard you swear for so long. That sounds awful coming out of your mouth. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, and, and it's, you know, I, I guess that's just somewhere, you know, some of us get to eventually in our life. There's, you know, there's no reason to swear. And if you have a, a nice broad vocabulary, you can think of much more descriptive words to use. So Interesting. Hey, I just want to run through a couple of interesting things about those rules. You talked about the going to bed and waking up at the same time every day. I love it. Great rule. I wish I could follow it. I hope to follow it. But, we'll, you know, I, I have some questions over my strength there. But you, sir, go to bed at eight o'clock every night and you wake up at 4 a.m. I absolutely love the morning. It's a spiritual time for me as a writer. I just get so much done. I have something in the book called magic time that I believe everybody has over the course of their day. And so if someone kept a time journal and just, you know, looked at their energy levels and their productivity levels, they might find at two o'clock in the afternoon, every single day, they just have this burst of creativity and energy or, you know, whatever it is that they do, they just are so productive at that time. And so that's their magic time. And mine is very, very early in the morning. And so that's why i I get up and I just, I've essentially just shifted my 24 hour clock. I still yeah. have the same 24 hours in a day. Yeah. I just happen to be the type of person that goes to bed early. And, you know, the society's kind of weird. They look at, you know, the night owl as these, you know, that romantic type of life. Oh, wow. You're a night owl. You must be cool. And, you know, nerds like me that go to bed so early, we're, we're, uh, we're losers, but I have, uh, I'm quite proud of it and quite happy and, 
and I know it's the right life for me. So going back to that phrase I mentioned before, I make the right decision for my right life right now, which is, you know, making sure to protect that magic time so that I can help more people. Well, imagine the opposite. Imagine if instead of going to bed at eight and waking up at four, you went to bed at 11 and woke up at, you know, 7.30, It would mean that, uh, you know, until 11 o'clock, you're watching reruns of Law and Order or, uh. or, you know, Game of Thrones. And as good a shows as they are, they're not changing your life, are they? But if you're waking up at four in the morning, you are doing something so positive that is going to set your day up for success. And as we talk about this, your book, you're not just talking about business success, growing wealthy, becoming the best professional you can, giving back to your corporation. You're talking about setting up your life so you find time for family and friends and hobbies and things that make you you. Absolutely. And that's what it's all about is, you know, all these things that we've talked about, I I don't want people to discount the ideas because it sounds like so much work because what we're doing here is we're setting you up to leave work on time, to not be there another half an hour, to not then get stuck in traffic so that you miss your child's recital or sports playing or whatever it is. I mean, we're getting you home for what matters. And if it means you being that type of person who doesn't mess around at work, yeah. And gets that reputation, by all means, take that reputation. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I could run through all of your seven rules and talk about great examples, but I won't do that. As always, for my listeners, I'll, I'll put this on the podcast page from this episode and they can look through them themselves and think about some examples. But I do want to talk about number six be social. I think that's a great rule. And it's actually something that I'm not very good at and I should be better at. I've got a lot of great friends in my life because. I don't know who doesn't, but I'm sure I've lost a lot of great friends simply because both of us happen to be the type of people that weren't great at staying in contact. One of my good friends who I had on the show a little while ago, he's a, he's Australia's top triathlon coach. He's Australia's number one age group triathlon coach, Trent Patton, Red Dog, we call him. He's a good mate of mine. And he has this little rule with when he's sitting on his couch watching sport, because he's sports crazy, what he'll do is just flick through his phone and look for a name of someone who hasn't been in contact with for a while and just send him a, a text message that says, G'day, how you going? And that's a really great way for him to to stay in touch and maintain those relationships. It's a it's a really it's it's a really nice, simple, quaint little way for him to do that. And and uh, you know it's funny where you where and from whom you can learn those little lessons. Absolutely. And one one of the things I do, David, is I send a thank you card to somebody every day. I have a long list of uh, people, I, you know, a huge spreadsheet of people that I do business with or, or friends. And I just go through there and I, you know, whoever makes me smile that day, I just send them a thank you card. Do you really? Jeez, you're a, yeah. are you a, you're a saint. Oh, I, I, you know what? Honestly, I do all this stuff because my natural instinct is to be and this is embarrassing to admit, and maybe it's because my father was like this, but my natural instinct is to be jealous and envious and bitter. And I don't want to be like my father, who who I think actually passed away early because of that bottled up inside of him. And and I just saw all the bad things, the wrong choices that he made. I mean, he was still, I mean, I love my father. I miss him dearly, but he made some bad decisions in his life when he was such a smart man and he could have done so much more with his life, but he let those negative qualities consume him. And I refuse to be like that. And so what I've done is whenever I'm envious of somebody, I go and write them a thank you card. That's great. Hey, I have a question that that is probably a little off topic, but you've just made me think of it. I was talking to someone the other day that there seems to be two types of people, people who unthinkably follow their parents' ways and are like their parents, whether their parents are wonderful or whether their parents are complete pains in the butts. And then there are people who, if they've got a, a parent who might be a little bit difficult, they go out of their way to be the complete opposite, to fix the personal flaws in the parents in themselves. Who are those people? What's the difference? I think it comes down to something we talked about before, which is the personal responsibility. And so one person just might assign themselves to fate. Oh, you know, I'm just like my father. Yeah. I'm just like my parents. And, yeah. you know, that's passed down to me. And it's an excuse. It allows me to not be involved in personal improvement. And then the other person says, you know, at the end of the day, I have the choice here. I have the choice to, again, it goes back to the stoic philosophy. We control what we say. 
We control our thoughts, words, and our deeds. That's all we control. We don't control the weather. We don't control our parents. We don't control our genetics, but we darn well control our thoughts, words, and our deeds. And we are the ones who, who raise our voice. We are the ones who, you know, give a helping hand. It's up to us. And at the end of the day, we can make that decision. And so those people who are changing have made that personal responsibility choice. Look, Craig, I have just enjoyed our conversation more than you'll ever know. I, I was really looking forward to chatting with you after I'd read your book. And the conversation we've had has had been even better than I imagined it would be. Your book is called The Perfect Day Formula. It breaks down the way that you can shape your day and therefore shape your life. It breaks it down into conquering the morning, conquering the afternoon, and concentrating on what counts. And it's a really yeah, nice- no, It was controlling, controlling the morning. You said conquering oh, the morning, but it's- right. Controlling the morning, conquering the chaos of the afternoon, and concentrating on what counts. Thank you. You're, you're absolutely right. I've, I've, I've misread my own scrawl there. And <laughs> so it's it's a beautifully written book. And you, you of course, with, you know, we, I'd love to spend another hour talking about everything else about your life. But you, of course, have been a writer for a long time. You've you've written on on men's health for a long time. So writing is also another fantastic skill of yours. This is the type of book that you just sort of look at the page and it reads itself. That's the, the type of writer you are. It's, it's effortless. And I really enjoyed it for that reason. So I implore my listeners to get them, themselves a copy of this book and, and have a look at it and think about the way it might have an impact on their life. And um, I will, of course, put some links on the website. But before I let you go, Craig, I always ask my guests the same four questions to finish the interview. Are you, are you ready? Oh, wonderful. They're, they're tough. They're very tough. I don't think you'll be able to handle them. Well, I'm, I'm Canadian, so I think you, uh, you should give me a chance. <laughs> All right. I, I, you underestimate me like, you, like the Americans underestimate the Canadians. So. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll, I'll treat you with more respect than I would a New Zealander then. All right. Here we go. This is so we learn a little bit more about the inherent Craig. Craig, tell us about the Saturday night you most look forward to, a big party with lots of people you know, or an intimate dinner with your closest friends? These days, it's going to be the intimate dinner. You say these days. Elaborate. Oh, man, yeah, I mean, 20 years old, I'd be looking for that big party, you know? Yep. All right, good stuff. Next question. Are you more likely to get bogged down in the detail or caught daydreaming? Oh, caught daydreaming, I think. I, I've, I've struggled with details. I tr I'm trying to get better, but... Fortunately, I have a good team around me that I can shift the details to so I can go back to my big thinking and daydreaming. All right. Well, here is my penultimate question. In terms of making decisions, are you a slave to rational thought process or do you make decision based on emotion? Um, I don't know if I, I would say either. I definitely think about things a lot and I always sleep on my decisions, mm -hmm. my big decisions. Okay. All right, good. And very last question, Craig, you're going on a road trip. Do you like to plan the route, book the hotels in advance and know exactly where you're going? Or do you just get in the car and drive? I have booked hotels for trips that I'm going on months in advance for this year. So I am that person. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily mind when I get to the location, I'm kind of free game to wander around the city. I don't mind. I, I just need to know where I'm going and where I'm staying, and then free time from there. Good on you, Craig. Craig Ballantyne, it has been more than a pleasure to spend the last hour talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great to have you. Uh, thank you so much, David. As I always say to people, the quality of the show is really about the questions asked, and you did a fantastic job, and it was really great to talk with you. And I think we must know each other from a past life or something. <laughs> That's very kind, Craig. Thanks, mate. Thank you. And that was Craig Ballantyne, passionate, clever, and genuine. For me, there was just so much to take from both Craig's book and the conversation you just heard. Some of his messages made me feel great, that I'm on the right track, that I have some very positive things in place throughout my life. But there are other ideas that just seem so obvious to me now, simple things I can change today that will take little effort 
but move me closer to the lifestyle that's perfect for me. And of course, there's that paradoxical truth that sits at the heart of his entire message. Freedom equals structure. I'll provide a link to where you can find Craig online and pick up a copy of his book. That'll be on the podcast page for this episode. I will, as always, share the lessons I took from today's chat. You'll find it all on the Team Guru website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Look for us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, you can find me personally on LinkedIn or by simply emailing me directly, david at teams.guru, david at teamswithans.guru. I'll be back next week for another episode on this, my mission to bring the theory of team and leadership development to life. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.